Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And we're going to go to the phones now, one of our favorite contributors. I'm not even going to give him a hard time today because he provides so much incredible content to this show. And you know, Nate Zielinski, we just had one of your guys on earlier talking pike, pike fishing, and that Will Dykstra guy can catch some pike. I'll tell you what, he is a, he is a predator fisherman to the T. I hate to say it because he catches about everything under the sun, but uh, I mean, he's put some pike in the boat just this year that are literally world-renowned. I mean, you see them, and you think they got to be a European fish. They're oh, so the big. pictures I've seen are right just... right here in people's backyards. Yeah. I know we're going to talk hunting, but before we get done, I'm going to ask you some fishing updates, too. But you guys, you know, this has got to be a really tough time for you because you love every aspect of the outdoors. You're out scouting. You're getting ready for archery. You know, there's muzzle loader. You're, you're getting ready for all the different hunting. And yet, this is some of the best fishing of the year. <laughs> you know, Jay, I mean, you look at like a 10 day period. So you say the past five days and the, you know, the next six days or say, or four days, you know, um, I mean, I've been sheep hunting. I've been scouting elk and deer. I'm in the field for elk and deer. Um, and we have dove hunting coming up later this week. We have our bear season starting on the second. Um, I mean, as a, as an outdoorsman, especially on the hunting side, it's, it's everything's going right now. I mean, pronghorn's going on right now. Luckily I, I got that away right on the first day so I can continue to jump into the next species. Uh, but there is just so much opportunity and it's a great year for it, Terry. We're, uh, you know, that early spring really sets up for the entire year fishing and hunting. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen some leaves starting to change in their backyard. Uh, the high country's cool. You know, Pikes Peak got a lot of snow. A lot of the high country got snow. Um, it's really, it's going for uh, for the sake of that. And today is probably the, the national holiday of the big game season here in Colorado, being the opening day for archery and all the mountain zones for uh, elk and deer. Um, so there are just hunters and hunters and, and stacks of people out there enjoying the outdoors. Um, and I would say that we're going to have probably a slightly better opening day this year than we did last year for certain. You know, our temps are a little cooler in the high country. Um, we do have a lot of moisture, but it just seems like the elk are just, just a little bit further along. Now, really depending on where you're at is going to determine that activity that you're seeing. But um, generally speaking across the board, I would say that uh, the elk are a little bit more responsive. They're, they're a little more further along in the fall patterns. I don't really want to say that they're, you know, the rut's happening. It's not going yet, but that, that pre-rut activity um, is starting to happen. You know, I was out, you know, yesterday, um, actually called in some bulls yesterday. I was just actually just seeing if these bulls would, uh, would listen to a cow call and these bulls fired up, bugled back at me. A couple of bulls were, were very responsive. Um, so we're not telling people to be call happy. Don't go out there and try to call them in and, and spook your animals if they're not talking. But in some situations, we are seeing these bulls a little further along than a lot of people are anticipating. So really expecting a great opening day here. Yeah, you know, well, you know, when you get a little further into the ride, I've been I've, I, over the last couple of years. I kept meaning to ask you this, and I don't bring it up. And some of my experience, and I haven't done a lot of elk hunting. I'll admit that most of my hunting was in Canada, and northern Minnesota, and places like that. But um, when you're doing some calling and the rut is going on, once those animals do gather a harem, you know, calling to locate them is one thing, but calling to draw them away from that harem is very tough. Is that how you find it, too? Absolutely, Terry. You know, it, it really is situational, situational. You know, so you have to make sure if they're content with what they have, 
Um, you know, so we always, you know, bring it to a dominance, not necessarily like antler size, but dominance of the particular animal. You know, a, a four and a half year old total stud bull is different than an eight and a half year old stud bull. And it really goes statewide or even the Rocky Mountain region, you get into Wyoming and Utah or wherever you're hunting. Uh, it's really going to be the dominance of that animal. So you have to look at the relationship of if that animal is content, if it has enough cows, if it has the harem it's looking for, the odds are very rare that it's going to come off of that. Now, if you could challenge that animal enough, or if you're in extremely close close quarters in like dark timber, if you can threaten him, he might pull off of that herd to protect that herd. And that's all it's going to basically do. Uh, So in the right scenario, you can pull a big bull off of a harem, but in fairly open country it's hard to put enough threat on a big bull to where he wants to separate from that herd um to come defend them and then the other situation if you get these animals as they're just building that harem if it's a dominant bull that can handle more cows you can pull these bulls in because he's going to come to try to fight the, the opposing bull to gather those cows and try to build his harem larger so there's definite situations where it's very possible to work a bull in a harem but it's very situational. And generally speaking, I would use a call more to locate these animals, use a call to keep them talking so you have a, uh, an exact location. And then you're better off almost just to sneak up, um, which a lot of people don't try. Everybody thinks you have to be calling. It's, it's very possible. When a bull's running hard, he is so focused on the cows, they don't pay attention to a lot of things. And you can oftentimes sneak within archery range um, and take that shot. So there's a lot of opportunity with that. Um, you know, and like we're dealing with right now, I mean, I saw... I saw two bulls, for example, yesterday that were younger bulls. They're going to, in the area that I'm hunting with a lot of real mature bulls, a lot of big bulls, um, these six by sixes are like a 270, 280 class bull. So, I mean, still a, a heck of an animal, um, but they will be a satellite bull for a bigger harem in the area that they're in. And these bulls were fighting in a water hole as if they were going to kill each other. I mean, it's early in the season, but these two six by sixes were splashing. And I mean, they fought for 45 minutes in a water hole and I literally walked right up to them. I mean, I walked within shooting range and they were so, so gathered and fighting each other um, without making a peep, without calling. I was able to walk right up. And there's a lot of opportunities like that for the hunter to where, if you're a call hunter, it's just barely starting in the right scenario, and it's really going to be happening in about two weeks. But if you're good at spotting and stalking, now is the ultimate time. Catch these animals as they're looking around, as they're starting to gather harem, as the cows are breaking out of big groups. Uh, but the spot and stalk method, whether you're locating them visually or locating with you know possibility a call, uh, but then sneaking up on them is a great opportunity to harvest these animals right now. Well, you know, you've, I've mentioned a couple things that just get me excited about the calling-type hunting sports. One is you saw these bulls, and they weren't even interested in necessarily harvesting one of those. But what an experience. If you never harvest an animal, when you're in the stealth mode, especially if you're doing archery, because you tend to get a little more stealth, you have to get closer. You really, I, it, whether you should or not, you pay more attention in archery than a lot of people do in rifle. And they pay so much attention to the thermals and the scents and the way their clothing is. And they get this become part of the environment and get close, get in this animal's comfort zone. And whether you harvest an animal or not, when you do that, the things you'll experience in the woods, you just can't put uh, a price tag on or You can't explain that to people. There's no doubt about it. I mean, even like that, just talking elk in general, I mean, we all know that they're a big animal. We always know that they're a powerful animal. But when you watch two mature animals lock, lock antlers and actually truly fight and you see the strength 
of these animals. I mean, they're fighting and when they're pushing hard at each other, their feet are sinking, you know, a foot and a half into the mud. Um, you know, you watch their nut muscles just shake with that adrenaline. Um, and there's nothing like it. I mean, when you hear the, the, the antlers smashing together, um, you know, I mean, it's a situation that it's there, there's so much power that I don't think people even realize or can even understand or describe. Um, and those are the type of things that just make you have so much respect for those animals and, and what they go through through, a, through an average breeding season. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. Now, one other thing, because I know you want to talk a little bit more hunting. You mentioned a lot of people are out in the field today. If you didn't get out there today, archery season isn't quite as uh, urgent to get out early as the rifle season's. Um, is that what you find also? You know, we, we have a month. I think, you know, the, everybody's excited. They've been waiting 11 months for this day. Um, the biggest thing that I, I preach, we've been talking about it for weeks, been hearing about it on my live feed, um, is just don't hurt the situation. I encourage people to get out there. It's a great time to continue your scouting. It's a great time to, you know, have your weapon with you in the woods. But so many people get so gung-ho, they push the envelope, whether they call too much or whether they push the situation. Um, a lot of people just, just go within with a little bit too much excitement and they hurt their odds for the rest of the season. Then a lot of people, um, I don't know how to say this without you know, hurting feelings, but people get too sensitive and they, they really get down and out. A lot of people will hunt, you know, the next 10 days straight or they'll hunt, you know, this weekend and next weekend. And a lot of people literally get mentally discouraged because it hasn't happened yet. Oh, I haven't killed. I keep seeing people killing on Facebook and, you know, I hear about it on, on the radio. How come I'm not that guy? Or I've been out there. I haven't even seen an elk. It's not going to happen for me. And, you know, or a lot of people just get, they don't train. So they're not physical. And all of a sudden, you know, two weeks of the physical hunting and they're burned out. And I see so many hunters that are done by the time the rut's actually starting and really the peak of the season. Now, this weekend's a great time to kill elk. I know elk that are coming into calls. I know people that are on great water holes, and these elk are hitting those hard. So I'm not saying that now is not a good time, but for the average hunter, really it's going to be that, you know, that second, first and second week of September where really everything kicks off. And, you know, it's going to cool down. So your patterns of the animals are going to stay out a little longer. Uh, your thermals are going to get better as it cools down. The elk are going to be talking more, so it's easier to locate them. So a lot of things get easier as we go on with the season, but I see a lot of hunters that are burned out by the time that happens. So there's a lot of things that, that take place. So you really have to just make sure, hey, don't hurt my odds, so don't push the envelope if it's not going to happen, and really keep your mental head in the game. That's probably one of the biggest things that I really encourage is, you know, you have to go into a hunting season planning on hunting the entire season. If it happens sooner, that's a total bonus, but go into it mentally and physically uh, able to, to push through the whole season and have that positive attitude, um, and that's really one of the biggest things that's going to put animals on the ground for the average guy. Oh, you're absolutely right. Nate, I want to change things up on you real quick. I want to talk some fishing while we got a couple minutes left. Um, you know that I don't hunt nearly as much as I used to. I love hunting. I've done all aspects of hunting, but boy, I can't put my rod down and fall. And there's some good fishing <laughs> going on, isn't there? Absolutely. You know, the, the top things right now, the pike, uh, all over the state, really. Williamsburg's fishing very well. Spinning is absolutely on fire. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's a time where we're catching tons of fish. You know, not going to have a 30-fish day, but having a 15-fish day with opportunity at 40-inch fish is right now. Uh, right as those waters start to cool off, it's that clear-cut sign that the fish falls coming. It's time to bulk up. And we're seeing these fish, you know, have a, a 
35 to 40 percent increase in activity right now. Uh, so, like you talk to Will and you see these big pike. The pike is phenomenal. The trout fishing is also really turning on. Uh, but the big thing is, I wanted to say to you because I know this is your style. Uh, the fall walleye bite is great. It's that slabbing time of year. Blade bait, you know, jigging wraps, all that type of stuff. Spoons working great. But our panfish have also gathered, and that's one thing that I think gets overlooked here because we're not a panfish state. We're not a state of anglers that seeks that out. But like right now on Chatfield, if you find sandy mud bottom uh, on a nice flat, even the roadbeds are flat enough, but that and other flats, um, our bluegills and sunfish have gathered immensely, and our perch have gathered. So really from this point till about November is a peak time to get out there and have literally some of the best pan fishing that Colorado will offer uh, with some large fish. The fish are done spawning, so we're not worried about hurting those spawning fish. Uh, they're gathered up and it's the time to hit those panfish as well. And it, again, oftentimes gets overlooked. So we're really excited about that. Well, I know the other thing with panfish is the action they provide and the opportunity, because they're prolific, to selectively harvest a few. Don't be a pig, but take a few home, <laughs> and, and you know you can take a kid out in a boat or even from shore with a slip bobber if you can reach a flat, and you get a few of these on. You're going to get action once you find them. And, what, and for people that don't get out a lot, it's just getting that string pulled. Absolutely. It's a great way to catch some fish, and, and they fight. I mean, a, a good sunfish will put up its battle, I mean, ounce for ounce, without a doubt. I mean, it... Uh, it puts that on. We're catching a lot of smallmouth bass as a byproduct uh, while doing this, so so it's a lot of fun. Again, we just throw that out there because again, it, it oftentimes gets overlooked by the average angler. So if you are that paying fisherman, if you haven't done it before and you want to get into it, it's just started, especially Chatfield's one of the, the best places. Our, ch- our shad hatch uh, was, was very weak this year. Uh, the water temperature actually dropped just a degree during that spawn, so we didn't hit a good bait fish spawn. There's enough food to make the lake healthy, uh, but not a lot of uh, competition with natural forage. So it's, uh, it's making the angler side of things very good, um, and it's really showing with that panfish bite. What type of a presentation? Do you put the boat right over the panfish and you smoke? You know, I, I have been right now, yeah. I've been putting the boat right over them, and you know, we do a little bit of everything. I mean, there's times where I'm slip bobbing with live bait, like a live, live small minnow, like a small fathead. Uh, there's a lot of times where I'm using little, uh, you know, just little hair jigs, but to be totally honest, my number one approach right now, the water's still warm so I can get by using bait. Uh, I'm drop shotting with literally uh, an inch long piece of night crawler. Uh, and on a day where they're, where they're going strong, you can even use a small plastic, like a small one inch gold minnow. Uh, but I'm usually, literally using a half ounce weight uh, or a quarter ounce weight. Like on the bottom, I'm going up about eight inches. I'm putting on a, a drop shot hook uh, pointed out, you know, fairly small, like a size six. Uh, I'm putting on a small piece of crawler or that gold minnow, dropping it down there, putting the weight on bottom and just barely shaking it. And it is light out. And I love that approach because it's easy to feel. So if I have people that have not done with panfish, a lot of guys go out there with super light jigs, light approach. And not that you don't feel the bite, but it's hard to get that jig to the bottom. It's hard to work that zone. As where that drop shot, it's super easy. And the drop shot rig really amplifies that strike. Uh, so it hits like it's a freight train. So it really ups the odds. You get up fist or you drop down fast. You have great control. Uh, it puts a lot of fish in the boat. Oh, as always, we've run over time. Nate, where can they find more information from you? You know, the best thing, go to the website, tightlineoutdoors.com. And really, I encourage everybody to join me live Monday night at 8 p.m. on the Bowtech Facebook page or Tightline Outdoors Facebook page. We're going to bring you all the rut conditions from across the street. So the, today and tomorrow, I'm really going to be putting a big focus on wh- exactly what the elk are doing, what the deer are doing. Uh, so join me live Monday night, and we'll walk you through all those rut conditions uh, so you have an update going for us for the next week. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 
Teruushim Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter, and they're also the sponsor of our Ask the Expert segment. You send your questions to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on at gmail.com. You can find the information on my Facebook page at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Send us your outdoor question, fishing, hunting, camping, anything you want to know about. If we answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. Today's question is from Scott and Loveland, and it's kind of a two-part question. First, he says, can you give me any tips for breaking down a new lake you've never fished before? And then he goes, if I'm struggling, and that happens to all of us, to catch fish on a slow day, what are some changes I can make to turn my luck around? Joining us from the Thornton Sportsman's Warehouse, the fishing manager to help us address this, is Randy Clark. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Terry. Good to, uh, good to be on board today. Yeah, it was beautiful. It's a hard day to talk fishing and not be doing it when you look outside today. I'll tell you that, Randy, right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Randy, you're the manager at the fishing department at the Thorntons here. and You've been here in Colorado for a while, but your background is really, you came from out east. You did some bass fishing out there. Is that right? Sure enough. Uh, I was out east for about 11 years and then originally from the Midwest where uh, Illinois, Kentucky, and then a little bit of time down in Texas. So lots of experience uh, chasing around the fish, no doubt about it. Well, I know you're not only the manager there, but you're a very avid angler. Um, and, and, of course, I've even wet a line a couple times myself. People probably don't know that. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about this question. Let's take first, you know, breaking down a new lake. I don't know how many times I get this question and, you know, somebody will come up to me with a map or something and they'll say, where should I start? And I'll say, well, what, what's, what species are on the lake and is there different predators? What's the bait? Is the water rising or falling? What time of the year are you going? And they give me this blank stare. And this is a very wide open question, but there can be times of the year when, I mean, there can be some basic things you really want to understand before you go, right? Well, sure. And breaking down a lake for the first time, that can be a daunting task, uh, but you really, really want to focus on several things when you're when you're going onto a body of water for the first time. And some of the basics are just what time of the year or the season uh, is is upon us. So you're there into the summer, the spring, late summer, early fall, late fall, that kind of thing. You really want to focus on, on what time of the year. And then drill down into into several segments. Uh, For example, water temperatures. Are water temperatures rising in the spring and summer? Are they falling in the fall? That kind of thing. Uh, Little things that people don't think about. pH factors really can have a have a play in in uh, determining how to break down the waters. But what a lot of people uh, should be looking at. As you take a large body of water, for example, you can literally break down the lake in sections. You don't have to look at the at the total lake and the total map and try to figure out what to do. You can really bro- break the lake down in sections. And let's just take an example, uh, springtime fishing. Let's just pull this out of the air. Typically, most lakes out there warm up on the northern end first. And we all know that. There's lots of information out there on the Internet, 
all the bass fishing and trout fishing magazines will tell you that that the northern end of the lakes warm up first. And what you really want to do is focus, if you can, if the opportunity presents itself, to literally focus in on, say, the upper third of the lake, for example, and then dissect that upper third of the lake into the features on what the lake offers. Uh, for example, uh, points and docks or hard bottom structure, that kind of thing, uh, drop-offs, shallow waters, coves. Those are the kinds of things that you really want to focus in on. So what you, what ultimately what you want to do is to take a large body of water and make it small and then literally dissect each section of the lake. And then hopefully within those small sections of the lake, you can produce or find a pattern that you can, that you can mimic in other parts of the lake as well. Well, you know, and, and there's a couple of things I want to add to that. You're absolutely right. When I used to write for in Fisherman, that's what we preached was break it down into like small lakes. Another thing we really run into out west here is rising and falling water. Now, it's been a little different this year. Typically, we have extremely lower reservoirs this time of the year. The water's actually come up a little bit, and it'll start to fall again. And that will position the fish, too. But it'll depend on the species and it'll depend on the shape of the reservoir you're fishing. If it's got steeper sides, they may just stay in the same area and just move down a little bit. If it's if it's a shallow reservoir, it may pull them away from shore if it's falling or bring them in to the trees if it's rising. You and I could go back and forth on breaking down this this lake and not get to the other part of the question. But what I want to tell people, first of all, it's so important to do some homework. When I fish tournaments, and I fished at the highest level in Bass and Walleye, when you drive around that lake, I used to drive around the lake and buy a map at four or five different tackle stores. And people go, what? Why wouldn't you take the same map? I said, well, first of all, that map was useless until the guy in the store marked it up for me. And I didn't want him to be influenced by the other guy's mark. Now, you don't have to do that. Now, we've got so much information on the Internet and Google Earth and things like that. And then go into your local store, like Sportsman's Warehouse, and talk about, you do a little research on the lake, then come in and talk to you or somebody in the store and go do some homework and then go out to the lake and, and go out with a plan, but go also go out with a plan A and B. Before we run out of time too, let's also address, he said, I'm, well, how about a slow day when I'm struggling to catch fish? Well, we've all <laughs> had that. And you know, why are you struggling? Are you not in the right place? Are you not making the right presentation? He says, what should I change? Well, first of all, if you're confident that you're where the fish are, if you're not confident where the fish are, maybe you should look at plan B and try a different location. But what if sure. you're confident where the fish are? You think you've done your homework. You think they should be in the area. I mean, don't sit in one spot all day, move and try. But suppose I think there's fish here. I just can't get them to go. What, what changes do I make? Well, here, Terry, that's, that's a situation that we've all been faced with before. And here's what you have to remember all the time. The fish are always talking to you even if their mouths are closed. And they're always telling you something. Uh, a lot of people out there uh, tend to fish history. And what we mean by that is, just for example, I went out on my home lake three weeks ago and I was on a pattern of such and such and just filled the live well with them and, and just had a great day. Three weeks later, I'm in, the, I'm in the boat, and I'm fishing the exact same way. Now, again, you went out fishing the same way as you did three weeks ago, and I find myself struggling. 
So what you really have to do is you have to break down what's happening today versus what happened three years ago. And this is just an example, or three, three weeks ago, just for an example. But look at your water temps. Maybe three weeks ago, the water temp was 68 degrees, and now it's 75. Uh, barometric pressures may change. Um, uh, what we talked about a little earlier, water levels change. Uh, clarity of water, the depth of fish where the fish were, were holding uh, three weeks ago may not be the same today because of water fluctuations. So it's it all comes down to, yes, we had a great day uh, in this example three weeks ago, but we tend to get caught up a little bit in history, and we need to learn as we excel and become better uh, fishermen. It's all about adjustments. Now, what? Uh, let's just say that I'm pretty confident the fish are still, maybe it's a small body water or it's a lake I know fairly well, so I'm comfortable the fish are there. They're just not going. What's the first adjustment you typically make? Well, typically what you want to look at uh, in a situation like that is fine-tuning your bait presentation. Uh, for example, uh, you might find that if there's water moving, uh, maybe the fish are set up in a different area versus what they were when the water wasn't moving a couple, three weeks ago. Uh, positioning of the fish is, is, very, is very important in making our adjustments. Another thing uh, is fine-tuning your bait presentation, scaling up or maybe even scaling down your bait. What was working uh, or what's not working in the boat today, for example, maybe the bait presentation is too large. Maybe they need to scale down just a little bit. Or in some cases, it's just the opposite. You throw out uh, a larger presentation and you get that uh, a little different look out there for the fish. You get a reaction bite. A reaction bite. I'll, I'll give you a prime example. I was on a river system here a couple of years ago, and uh, I was in search mode, if you will, fishing a white spinnerbait with nickel blades. The water was very clear. And early in the game, I was getting several bites, but they were all short strikes. So what I basically did was just took a pair of scissors uh, from the tackle box, and I trimmed up the skirt really short. Uh, the very next hit I had, uh, strike to catch ratio went way up. I started catching fish. And what had happened was they were short striking that really long skirt. So all I had to do was just tighten up that skirt a little bit and the bite started coming. So little adjustments, little fine tunings like that can really make a difference. Randy, we're we're out of time, so we're going to have to cut this short. But what I do want (laughs) to say is we could talk all day on this. This is really a two-hour subject. But I want to make one last comment on what we did about the making changes. If I think the fish are really neutral and really struggling to get a bite, I may go to a very subtle presentation if I'm sure sure I'm where the fish are and may try to tempt them. If I need to cover water, I'll do exactly what you said. I'll upsize or go to an action bait and hope I can get a reaction strike by just covering more water until I find some fish. But I want to thank you for being our expert today, Randy. And if people want more information, they need to stop by Sportsman's Warehouse and talk to you. Oh, absolutely. I'm there all the time. I'd love to see everybody. I may even stop by later myself today. Sure. All right. Thanks, Randy. All right. Thank you. It's Randy from the Sportsman's Warehouse. Here we took a lot of time, but we're going to get to JR. We're going to talk some hunting here in just a minute. That was our Ask the Expert question. Send your question, Ask the Expert, to terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com for sending that question in. 
uh, the um, I'm looking for his name here for sending that question in. Scott from Loveland, I got a $25 gift card for Bass Pro from Bass from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. Toy Oaks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, Warehouse America's premier outfitter. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Let's go right to the phones, and I hope patiently waiting, because we're about five or ten minutes late to get to him, but well worth my wait to talk to him. I hope it was worth him to wait. J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning, J.R. Hey, good morning, Terry. You notice I didn't even diss you for catching all those big fish and sending me pictures. Uh, that was nice of you. We don't need any name-calling. No, you're, uh, you know, in all honesty, though, I got to get in the water. Folks, if you go out to Colorado Clays, you need to talk to both Doug when he's out there and Jr. These guys are anglers. And if any of you can get the waypoints from Jr., please email them to me. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Jr., I want to switch things up, obviously. Colorado Clays, you're, you know, you're a shooting, uh, shooting facility. You have you know, almost every form of sh- clay shotgun shooting you can have, and you have a rifle and a pistol range, but I kind of want to lean towards the uh, the shotgunning right now. I talked to um, Ed Gorman, who's the biologist for the Eastern Colorado for for the birds, and uh, we just got a t- tertiary update. You know, dove season starts real soon. He said um, the doves, especially in the southeast, are looking good. He goes, if we get too much more cold, some of the ones in the north are going to move south but there's a good population of doves and people should be having a good time. Uh, he said pheasant are going to be kind of, he thinks it's going to be a better than average year, but maybe not the year we had last year. And it's going to be a little spottier because the weather impacted some areas. We had a really strange summer. You know, we had the, we had cold and we had the dry and then we had the wet and then we had the hail. And he said it did impact some areas. So some areas will be very, very good. And some areas you're going to have to work a little harder Quail, he thought, in the southeast was going to be fantastic again. So overall, I would say the assessment, and we'll get add on and get up to date on all these. Of course, the dove starts pretty soon. Was that we're going to have a pretty fair bird hunting uh, upland game season here in Colorado that if you put some time in and willing to travel a little bit, you can get uh, have some success. But one of the things that limit people's success a lot in upland game hunting is understanding their gun and the shots and what they have to do. And I wanted to kind of talk, let's start with dove hunting. Um, t- give me some of your pointers on dove hunting. Well, Terry, I could go on for quite a while, but, uh, you know, to me, the long and short of it is going to be practice and repetition, uh, you know, for any type of hunting. But since we got dove hunting, hunting we'll start there. Uh, but practice and repetition, they're, they're so helpful and essential in you know developing good shooting form and consistency, um, knowing the stance and gun positioning that works best for you, it's going to allow you to feel confident that you're always going to make the highest percentage effort you can on whatever target may be. And here at Colorado Clays, you know we give all of our shooters the opportunity to practice not just their form and mechanics, but also the lead, follow through, and shot timing. You know, Terry, every target presentation at the range or in the field has a moment, angle, or maybe opportunity, if you will, that will be the best place for an individual shooter um, to have his or her best chance for a hit. So by practicing here at the range, you can learn your strengths, your weaknesses, um, and such before going into the field. 
and you can actually pick and choose the target flights that uh, you want to to work on. So it's a great tool um, for any hunter to, before they head for the field. Now, I I've always contended that dove hunting was a uh, a conspiracy started by the ammunition companies. That <laughs> and it's just because yeah. you can sell. <laughs> and we used to judge the number of doves, um, number of boxes of shells to the number of doves, not the number of, you know, but in all seriousness, too many of us, when, even when I was doing more upland hunting, used dove season as a warm up, And there's no reason not to take dove hunting more seriously and do your warm up at the range first. First of all, you'll be a lot more successful. And you and I've talked about this too, is that you want to be an ethical hunter. Well, yeah. And you know, Terry, let's just let me go a couple things here. I don't want to ramble on, but uh, on the thought of um, the dove season, here's something that's kind of a fun fact. Uh, just so happens that a standard size clay target is probably about the same size as your target area on these doves we're going to be hunting. And the shot shell loads allowed out here at Colorado Clays and Ranges are also seven and a half, eight shot, which is what most people happen to use for dove hunts. So, you know, we all know sometimes shooting's different with your hunting clothes, your vest pouches, whatever than it is without. Um, and you're welcome to wear that at Colorado Clays. So, I mean, it's kind of like when you consider the huge variety of target presentations available on our courses, uh, you can actually practice with similar size targets as your game, the same loads, the same clothing, and representation, representations of the same shot you might encounter on your hunt by simply driving out and hitting our course. Now, now, when we look at, let's take, you know, doves, pheasants, and quail. Are there particular, now you've got, you've got trap and wobble trap, you've got skeet, and you've got the sporting clays. Do you recommend shooting a variety of those for the, or for each of these birds, is there maybe a particular type of shooting that's better? Well, that's a good one, Terry. Uh, we get all the different uh, shotgunners all year long, and it seems that, let's say, for the pheasant and quail chucker upland flushes our wobble trap overlaid onto our skeet field is hands down the most popular one you can you can simulate just about any low or high quartering flush you can imagine so that is an excellent way to warm up for them our dove hunters you know a lot of the time if they're feeling rusty they'll start out with some trap just to get their um their their body and their mechanics and everything feeling good then they'll go down to the course uh, our sporting clays course and actually pick and choose targets that give them trouble um, and uh, get themselves ready in that way. No, you're absolutely right. A lot of people don't realize that you have how many stations on your sporting clays? Uh, 15 stations down through the creek bottom. It's a beautiful course with every imaginable presentation. It's amazing. And you can shoot the entire um, the entire course or you can pick and choose a few stations and just work on those shots just like you could with trap and skeet. And that's what makes it, you know, so much fun to work on. Another thing, I don't care how experienced a shooter you are when it comes to upland game hunting, especially, um, having somebody watch you is so much more important than just shooting by yourself. Now that could be a friend who's an avid shooter, but you guys also have trainers and lessons available, right? We absolutely do. We have a list of instructors on our website. And Terry, I've said it over and over, we have the best staff anywhere. Uh, our staff, when when we can, are always uh, willing to step in and give you a point of view or an opinion to get you going on the right track. And, you know, 
like you said, the, the ethical thing, you and I are both on the same page, and we've talked about this. I wanted to throw another angle in on that. Um, another aspect and maybe example of ethics in the field is going to be safe gun handling practices. And whether you're on public land with other hunters, on private property with landowners, you know, with your friends, family in the field, you don't want to be around people who don't handle guns safely. And at Colorado Clays, we have simple but well-defined gun safety rules. And learning safe gun handling as you practice your shot will certainly carry over into the field and benefit everyone. No, you're absolutely right. JR, we're going to run out of time here, but I think the message is if you get out and shoot now when a couple times, you're going to be a lot better when dove season rolls around and you're going to be that have that much more fun. And for any of these, we always say don't get ready for hunting, stay ready for hunting. Also, the thing we didn't mention is if you don't get out and shoot before you go, that first shot jams up or there's something wrong with the mechanism in your gun and you're done for the day. Exactly right, Terry. Uh, being prepared for, you know, in any sport, but particularly hunting really pays off. And I would like to say one last thing while I've got a moment, Terry. Um, Colorado Clay's Facebook page. Give us those best dove recipes. We're all going to share on there and see if we can come up some good ways to prepare those doves this year. Oh, and then I, they're just, uh, and doves are, people don't realize they're so good to eat. Jared, we're out of time, but how do they find you? ColoradoClays.com. Um, got maps, everything you need to know on the website or call us at the range. 303-659-7117. All right. Thank you, JR. Thank you, Terry. You bet. You know, Terry, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is, uh, you know, Honey Smoked Salmon is one of our sponsors, and we talk about them all the time and how much we just, uh, we love that product. And one of the couple of things I want to emphasize before we go to break is one, Honey Smoked Salmon is a local company. They're right here in Colorado. Not only is it one of the best products I've ever spon- had sponsored me that I'm so proud of and it tastes so good, but they're a Colorado company. Another thing, too, when we say the secret is in the fire, they don't put the honey on the salmon. They put the honey in the fire. That comes up in the smoke. They lightly smoke it. That coats the salmon and keeps the omega-3s in. I've been to their facility. Incredible, incredible process. I mean, it's just the best-tasting salmon I've ever had, and it's so good for you. Honey Smokes Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Boy, we're going to be wrapping up the show today, and it just flew by. I'll tell you what. We, t- we took you a lot of places. We took you dove hunting. We took you elk hunting. We, we went after big pike up in uh, Spinny Mountain Reservoir. I mean, huge pike. We went out e- uh, west and talked about some fishing. We just were all over. We even talked honeybees today. I'll tell you what. If you ever want to um, listen, you, you hear something here that, oh, I want to. What did he say about that? You know, we podcast this entire show. So you go to um, 1043thefan.com and you go to the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors page and you can find both individual um, interviews from this week, the segments. Almost all of them will be up there so you can listen to that 10-minute segment or you can listen to the whole one or two-hour podcasts of everything we talked about and you can listen to that online. You can um, you can. Save it and put it, you know, into your your computer, whatever you want to do. But follow us every week. We want to bring information to you that you really like. And don't forget about our Ask the Expert. 
The Ask the Expert is so important to us. That's where you send your outdoor question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on on, uh, gmail.com. That's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on gmail.com. If it's hunting, fishing, camping, outdoor clothing, outdoor cooking, we don't care. Send us your questions. If we answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. You don't have to listen. You don't have to come on the air with us, although I hope you listen. It'll be your question and will help. It also helps us with what kind of information our listeners want on the show. So it's very important to us. So please get your questions in. Now, next week, as I, I alluded to this earlier, I will be fishing in Minnesota. So next week, Ronnie Castiglione is going to fill in. Always good. Ronnie's always a wealth of fishing information. So he'll be filling in for me next week. Now, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me because I have to take off to Minnesota and go fishing. I do this so I can get more information to bring you on the radio. I take no personal pleasure from this. No, seriously, I'm very blessed. I get to enjoy the outdoors at an extremely high level. And it's very, I'm very, very fortunate. But we have great guest hosts. You know, Ronnie fills in. Chad Lachance fills in. Uh, Will Dykstra. Brad Peterson. Nate Zielinski. We just have great guys that fill in. And I think sometimes it's good for you to get a different voice and a different perspective on this show. Because this show is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about the guys. It's about getting you information so that you can get out and truly enjoy the outdoors and have fun. I'm evangelistic about getting people outdoors. I think it brings so much to our life. So hopefully you'll join us here every Saturday from from 9 to 11. Now, we may switch to winter hours. We're not sure yet in a few weeks, but we're, we're on every Saturday morning, and we really want you to join us. Follow us on Facebook. Facebook becomes the focal point of this show. We have a really uh, special interview. We'll podcast. We'll put a link to the podcast up on Facebook. If we have something coming up, like in a few weeks, the director of Parks and Wildlife is going to join us for an hour. We'll put that time and when he's going to be there on Facebook. Maybe you can send a couple messages about questions you want us to ask him. Those things. We, when I write a column for the Denver Post every week. We link to that on Facebook. And, of course, you can find our television shows. Every time we add one online, we put that on Facebook and give you a link. And don't forget to watch us on MOTV, My Outdoor TV. we got 40 episodes up there. It's like the Netflix of outdoor television. So there's so many ways you can share the information. But the number one key is our Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Coming up after us, um, we're going to go to ESPN Sports. And that will take us till 3 o'clock. And at 3 o'clock, DMAC's going to start the coverage of our Broncos pregame. So we get just a ton of things. So don't leave the station. Join us every week on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Right.